Well, we've uh, been walking through this. A lot of stuff been going on the last couple weeks, hadn't it? There's been a lot of stuff not only in our, our world altogether, our country altogether, uh, but man, in our lives, there's, you know, uh, people are graduating and uh, vacations are happening and uh, VBS and youth retreats and junior camp, all that stuff's coming down the pike. And so uh, a lot of stuff, a lot of exciting stuff to happen. And uh, I just want to always encourage you, remember, in the busyness and, and, the, and the stirring of our lives, to remember what we're here for. You know, we're here for the Lord's pleasure. And uh, we're here to be who He's called us to be. And we've been walking through this um, Acts and the, and the study on the church. And hopefully it's been an encouragement, a challenge to you. I know it has been for me. We've gone through this a, a time or two before. And uh, just every time it's, it's a, uh, I don't know, it's kind of like a little bit of a calibration that goes on. Uh, this is where the church began and kind of where are we at today and how do we line up with, with uh, what Jesus intended for us to be. And so hopefully you'll, you'll continue to be here and, and study with us as we go along. If you were here last week, you'll remember that we saw that Paul, the apostle, was unswayed by those people who were even on his team. And that can be a very difficult thing, right? That's a very difficult thing as a leader to say, no, I, I'm convinced this is the direction we are to go. Regardless of what the team is, is saying, hey, we, we really don't want you to do this. What they were saying is we don't want you to go to Jerusalem. Now, there's already been people along the way that have told Paul, don't go to Jerusalem, there's danger there. Don't go to Jerusalem, there's danger there. And um, Paul was unswayed all along the way. He was determined to follow the Lord's leading uh, for him as, as a leader. And though they were strongly persuaded, they even said that the Spirit has impressed on us to tell you, don't go. You need to avoid it. Paul still went. And the amazing thing that we saw last week was, in, in, in spite of the fact that they were concerned about Paul's life and the danger that awaited there in Jerusalem, we saw last week that they actually went with him. They didn't stay back and say, all right, buddy, good luck. <laughs> Go on to Jerusalem and see what happens. We're going to see if we're right and you were wrong. We're right. You know, I mean, it, that's not what they did. Paul said, hey, I'm going. This is what we've got to do. Regardless of the danger, regardless of what is going to happen or you think is going to happen, we have to, I have to go there and really want you to be a part of this with me. And the Bible says that they went with him. What an amazing story. Again, the two points we saw was this, is the depth of our commitment to Christ isn't determined by the, isn't determined by the pleasantness of our circumstances on earth. The depth of our commitment to Christ is not determined by the pleasantness of our circumstances on earth. And if we're honest, man, so many times, no matter how long we've been a Christian, we sometimes allow this to happen in our life, right? Our circumstances get difficult. Um, it's just really not the way that we want to do. And maybe it has to do with a relationship with somebody in church. Maybe it has to do with somebody inside of our house. And what ends up happening is, is that situation, that circumstance, kind of controls how committed we are to Christ. Right? If there's money in the bank, our health is good, our relationship at home, everybody, we love everybody at church, there's, everything is amazing in our life, everything is hunky-dory, then man, we can come into the church services, we can gather faithfully, and we can raise our hands and lift our voices. Man, this is amazing. God is awesome. You know, blessed be the name of the Lord. But when things get difficult, we're, well, we're, we're, we're praying about leaving. Whoa. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about not going to the, that group. I'm, I'm thinking about not going to that church. I'm thinking about not going to church. I, you know what? I, we can, we're the church. We can be church anywhere. We can go to church anywhere. And again, we've talked about how that's not even how we treat our 
earthly families, why would we speak the, treat the spiritual family of God like that? The depth of our commitment to Christ isn't determined by the pleasantness of our circumstances on earth. It's determined by Jesus Christ himself. And that's what we've seen in the Apostle Paul. We've, we've seen that he has considered what Christ has done on his behalf, and that has determined his commitment to his Lord. And that's the challenge we face today. And every time you start to get weary and, and faint in your mind, every time that you start to struggle with relationships on, on this earth, whether it's in your house or at your job or in the church, whenever you start really feeling like, man, I, I don't know, it's, it's, it's difficult right now, I want you to always remember, what did Jesus do for me? While I was still a sinner, what did Jesus do for me? And the second point was this. The dedication to the cause of Christ must be absolutely mutual in the church. The dedication to the cause of Christ must be absolutely mutual in the church. And again, that's what we saw with that team. Even though they were emotionally frustrated probably that Paul wasn't listening to them, that they all were in agreement that he shouldn't go to Jerusalem because there was danger there. And Paul himself said, look, I'm not swayed by those things. I'm not moved by the fact that there may be danger in Jerusalem because I don't count my life dear to myself. I, I, I am simply a vessel for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how he saw his life. And so he says, I, I'll go there even if it means my, my death for Christ. And again, our dedication to his cause must be mutual. It can't just be one or two people in the church doing this. It says that when Paul got up and ready to go, that we went with him, is what it says. They went with him. Got un unswayed by the team, he's determined to follow the Lord. And so, Acts chapter 21, 21, verse 27, we pick up where we left off. Paul had listened to the advice of James, who was the pastor there at the, the church in Jerusalem, and the elders that were there, and they had advised him that he should... Uh, fulfill the vow, the Nazarite vow, that, that uh, would basically appease those religious Jews who were still zealous about the law. And so they said, hey, if you'll just take these other guys with you and fulfill this, this, this ceremony, uh, then that'll appease everybody who's in an uproar thinking that you've, you've done something wrong. You've, 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 you've disregarded the laws of the Jews. You've, you've disregarded the ceremonial, uh, you know, happenings that happen, you know, that are supposed to happen in the, in the temple and not happen in the temple. So if you'll do this, you'll appease it. And so Paul does, you know what? I'm not, I'm not willing to offend anybody. This, it's not a thing for me. I'm not doing it to, to be righteous with God. I'm not even doing it to please men. I'm doing it as a way to not offend. No problem. And we have to remember too, Paul, and even, even I believe believing what we call Messianic Jews today, believing Jews today, they still observe some of these ceremonies, not to say we need to do this for our faith in Christ. It's a memorial to what Jesus has already done. So I believe that Paul, while he was doing these things, he was probably memorializing the fact that Jesus had, had cleansed him and washed him spiritually. Regardless, it says in verse 27, when the days, the seven days were almost over, the Jews from Asia, upon seeing him in the temple, began to stir up all the crowd and laid hands on him. So again, the, these, these Jews had, had come there to Jerusalem, and they recognized him from the, his travels in Asia Minor. And so they began to stir up all the crowd and then they grabbed him, crying out, Men of Israel, come to our aid. Help us out. This is the man who preaches to all men everywhere against our people and against the law and against this place, the temple. 
And besides, he has even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. That's a lot right there. That's a lot of accusation. That's a lot of, uh, uh, of dirt or mud, mud being slung at the Apostle Paul. But it says that they stirred up the crowd. They, they try to get everybody on board with being against what this guy has done. Regard, and the people were stirred up regardless if they knew the truth or not. Right? Isn't that interesting? The people were stirred up regardless if they knew the truth or not. Verse 29, for they had previously seen Trophimus and the, Ephes- the Ephesian in the city with him. So let's think about this. They stirred up the crowd without the crowd knowing all the facts. And what they were doing is they were accusing Paul of doing something based on the fact that this guy Trophimus was with Paul in the city. Not in the temple, in the city. This, he's been hanging around Paul. We saw this guy back in, 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 uh, in Ephesus and we know what Paul has been doing for the last seven days. And look what they did. Because they saw him in the city, they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. So what happened after this? Then all the city was provoked, and the people rushed together. And taking hold of Paul, they dragged him out of the temple, and immediately the doors were shut. And while, listen to this, while they were seeking to kill him, a report made its way up to the commander of the Roman cohort that all of Jerusalem was in confusion. You can imagine what these, these Roman rulers were thinking again. It happened when Jesus was around, right? They were trying to keep the peace. Hey, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? You know, I don't want to keep my job. You want Barabbas or you want Jesus? We want Barabbas. Crucify him. Right? They were trying to keep everything. And, and so the similar instance is happening here with Paul is that the whole city was in an uproar, and so the, the report got to the Roman commander of the cohort there, and he said, you know what, we've got to fix this, because I want to keep my job. I like my pension, I like my job, I like my position, I like my power. I don't want a higher-up to come in and say, look, you're not doing your job, you're out. So what did he do? At once, he took along some soldiers and centurions and ran down to them, and when they saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. You know, something that becomes glaringly obvious in this. And it was obvious, again, against Jesus. It was obvious against Stephen. It's this, point number one. Misdirected passion is divisive in the church and destructive to leaders. Misdirected passion is divisive in the church and destructive to leaders. Last week we saw in Philippians the charge to be unified. And I encourage you to read that again if you've not read that before. It was our theme verse recently as a church to esteem others over ourselves. If as a Christian we have any fiber of sincere love, and if we're going to enjoy any of the spiritual blessings that God has promised us, then Unity must exist. True, sincere, not pretentious, not surface level unity, but sincere hearts yoked together for the cause of Christ. Unity must exist. You say, I want to experience all the blessings of God. Then the unity that Jesus prayed for, that Jesus died for, that Jesus called us to, must exist in the local church. 
You can't be, oh, yeah, I'm unified with the church until I don't like something. No. The reason why this is such a major point is this. Please hear me. Many people have married politics to their faith. Many people have married personal preferences and positions, personal positions on issues and and things in this world to their faith. And it's not a misdirected assumption that a leader, Paul, took Gentiles beyond the Gentile court in the temple, but it's the politics, it's the preferences, the personal preferences, the personal positions on issues in our world that have become points that people have stirred some up against others in the church and against her leaders. Hey, what do you think about this? Oh, yeah, that's what I think too. Well, you know, they think this. How is that pleasing to Christ? How is stirring up division in the church pleasing to Christ? How is, how is, how is promoting division outside the church glorifying to Christ? But see, today, even as Christians, we get so wrapped up in our politics. We get so wrapped up in our preferences. We get so wrapped up in our personal positions and opinions that we allow that to affect our faith, that we're supposed to be living to the glory of God. And so what ends up happening is we become this this fractured-looking family, the fractured-looking body of Christ, ineffective, impotent in a world that's desperately, desperately in need of him. We see the news and we see everything going on in our world like, oh, well, something's got to change, something's got to change. Yeah, it needs to change here first. We can't get on the same page about some of the, the, the simplest things as the people of Christ. Why? Because we've married our positions and our preferences and our politics to our faith. And in our misdirected passion, it causes division in the church. And you know what happens? I read articles almost every week. You know what happens? Pastors and, and, and ministry leaders and, 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 and deacons, people are getting discouraged Why? Because so many people are so passionate and so amped up about so many other things in the world and all the problems it brings into the church. The last two years, the polarization, the misdirected passion and the division and destruction in the church because of race issues in the church, because of social justice issues, in the church, because of politics in the church, because of COVID, because of whatever, is appalling. It's appalling that we, the blood-bought saints of the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of all lords, the only true God, we are his children. We are his people. Our citizenship is in heaven, not on this earth. We are, we are so easily misdirected in our passion. If we get worn with the division, can you imagine how Jesus feels? With his blood-bought church separated 
on temporal issues that come and go with years and, and, and seasons and, and all those things that have no eternal bearing at all, except how they're obviously affecting unity in the church. Can you imagine how it breaks his heart? Like God himself, God, holy God, righteous God, all-powerful God, the Bible says in Philippians, left his throne in glory and humbled himself and became obedient as a servant and obedient to the point of death, and not just any death, the death on a cross, a criminal's cross, a shameful death. He did that for us. And then he, before all of that, he lived a perfect sinless life showing us exactly what love looks like, what unity looks like, what vision and mission for the eternal kingdom looks like. He showed us all of that. And then he, 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 he filled those first believers, the church, the first, the, the church, to, and, and recorded it down for us to have a pattern, an example before us. And what do we still do 2,000 years later? Have misdirected passion that divides the church and destroys leaders. In our study, it's the religious zealots who stirred up the crowd outside the church. It wasn't in the church. Today, it's the church stirring up the church against the church. And I did that in quotes because I don't know how honoring that is actually to call ourselves the church if we're not living like the church. There's a video, I think I showed it one time, a guy who did a little satire called The Honest Preacher. If you haven't seen it, you should look it up. It's on YouTube, The Honest Preacher. And he says, oh, look, it's Jesus. And he says, stop it! <laughs> I feel like that's what Jesus is saying to us so often now. Stop it, right? Something flashes across the news screen or the social media thing, and all of a sudden we're, we're, we're jumping on that. Man, could you imagine if the church, the people of God, us, were as passionate and zealous about the issues that come across our screens? Can you imagine if we were as passionate for the gospel and sharing it with others as we were about all that stuff? When we get it on our screens, we watch it on our screen, watch it on our social media, and we're, we're like, I mean, we got to share, we got to say something. And can you imagine, even if we had a fraction of of the passion for the gospel as we do about these temporal issues that are going to come and they're going to go. You know, in five years, if we're still here, there'll be something new. If you've been here for a while, you know that's the case. <laughs> There's going to be something new. It may even happen next year. It may happen sometime this year. There's going to be something new. You know what the enemy's going to try to do with that? Exactly what he's done with every issue in our world since the time of Jesus. He's going to try to distract the church so that the church would be divided so ultimately the church would be impotent in this world. He can keep on keeping the eyes of those who are blinded by darkness in darkness. He can keep those who are on their way to an eternal destruction under the wrath of God on that same path, this broad path. He'll do that until the church, until the people of God actually say, you know what? We're called with a higher calling. We have a greater purpose on this earth than to be nipping at each other's heels and, and, and arguing, debate. We've got a God. We've got the God. We've got the Lord of all lords. And he's given us his word. It's not like it's, it's subjective. It's absolute. It's not relative. It is absolute. 
If you're a child of God, part of your responsibility is to be in unity. Christ is the one who does that. He's the one that unifies the church. It's not politics. It's not those personal positions. You say, yeah, but I, I'm really close to the people that believe like I believe. Absolutely. We, we're, we're, fleshly, we're in these fleshly bodies. And so you got somebody who, who believes like you believe or has the same position on a certain issue as you. <coughs> Birds of a feather flock together. There are parts of our bodies, please hear this illustration, that prefer certain things that other parts of our bodies don't. I'm not going to go into graphic detail, but you know the truth. There's parts of our body that prefer certain things that other parts of our body absolutely do not. For instance, I'll give you one example. My wife, Rochelle, can use her fingernails and she can scratch my back lightly, right? She can just do that. And, oh, man, yeah, I'm, you, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, <laughs> right there, right there. Feels good, love it, amazing. She cannot, however, do that same thing to the bottom of my feet. <laughs> She'll probably get kicked. I mean, not, not intentionally. It'd just be a reflex. She's in the back, right? That's, that's the truth. But that doesn't mean that because of the difference in the preference that my feet have from my back, that my feet, well, Oh, you don't like that little scratching feet? Well, you need to go. You don't belong on this body. You know, the back likes that. Feet don't like it. See you. Both are necessary to the body. Both are to aid the body, the overall body. Both are to work together for the good of all my body, both my back and my feet. See, my feet are the ones that take me to my bed where my back is able to lie down on my bed, which ends up taking pressure off my feet and allows me as a body, a whole body, to rest. Ephesians chapter 4. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the, to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in you all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And saying that he ascended, it doesn't mean that, but that he also descended to the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fulfill all things. And he gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. This is why he gave these to the church, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, not the tearing down. Until we all attain to the unity, unity of the faith. To the what? The unity of the faith. And of the knowledge of the Son of God. To a mature manhood. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that the church, in the end, because we're following the prescription of Jesus Christ, looks like Jesus Christ. So that we no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine and by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says it like this, For even as the body is one, and yet it has many members, all the members of the body, though they are many, they all compose one body. He said it's the same with Jesus Christ. 
For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, his body, whether we're Jews or Greeks, whether we're slaves or free. We are all made to drink of one spirit, the Holy Spirit. For the body is not one member, but it's many members. See, if the foot says, because I am not the hand, I'm not a part of the body. It is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. Just because it's not one like the other body part doesn't mean it's not part of the body. And if the ear says, well, because I'm not the eye, I'm not a part of the body. It is not for this reason any the less, uh, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. If the whole body, your whole body, imagine this, your whole physical body, if your whole body was an eyeball, where would the hearing be? If the, whole, if the whole body was an ear, how could you smell? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. If they were all one member, if they were all an eyeball, if they all were an ear, if they all were a hand or a foot, but where would the body be? There would be no body. It would just be a member. But now there are many members but one body. And the eye can't say to the hand, well, I, I have no need of you. The eye has no right to say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head doesn't have a right to say to the foot, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body, which seem to be weaker, are necessary. And those members of the body that we deem less honorable, they're not very pretty, they're not, I don't really... I've, I've preached on this before, right? Nobody wants to see somebody's intestine on the outside of their body. It's, ugly, it's gross, right? You see intestines? That's gross. God put them on the inside, praise the Lord. You know, that's God's design. Intestines are on the inside, and they have a beautiful function. You know what? Us also, all the parts on the inside, and I know to, to different people they're different. Uh, medical people, they, they see them as, as beautiful. But nobody wants to see like your liver on your shoulder, right? That's gross, Right? You, like hanging around, oh, sorry, my liver, you know. <laughs> That's gross. It belongs in this house, but it's got a vital role in the body. That's what it says. And these that we bestow, uh, the, those that we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. And our less presentable members, members become much more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need of, need of it. But God has so composed the body giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there may be, what? No division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. You know, really, in, in our minds, we may not look at our little pinky toe every day and be like, good pinky toe. I love you, pinky toe. You know, we may not be doing that every day, but stub your pinky toe in the middle of the night. Right? You're like, oh. My pinky toe matters, you know. And that's what it goes on to say. If one member suffers, all the members suffer with, with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. Romans chapter 12. Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the constant renewing of your minds, 
so that you may prove or approve what is the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think, of, uh, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, right? Similar thing that he, he said to the Corinthians. Like your hand is different from your foot, ear is different from your nose and an eye. Just as we have many members in one body, and all the members don't have the same function, looks at what he says. So we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, right? God gives grace as he sees fit to each person to do what he has called them to do. Each of us is to exercise them accordingly. So according to the gifts that are given to us according to God's grace, his judgment, we are to use them, exercise them accordingly. If it's prophecy, preaching, and proclaiming the truth, according to the proportion of his faith, whatever God has given him the responsibility to do. If service, if your gift is serving, then in his service... He who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts, if you have the gift of exhortation, in his exhortation, he who gives, I've got the gift of giving, then do it with liberality. He who leads with diligence, shows mercy with cheerfulness. Listen to what he says in verse 9, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor that which is evil and cling to that which is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence, but fervent in spirit, serving who? The Lord. Rejoicing in hope, preser uh, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the, uh, the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another and do not... Be haughty in mind. Don't put yourself up higher than what you should be, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation and never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so listen what these words say. So far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. Let God be the judge, because it's written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy's hungry, this is from the same scripture, feed him, if he's thirsty, give him a drink, for in so doing you'll heap burning coals on his head. And that's not in spite, that's just the justice of God, right? You say, you know what, this person wronged me, you know what I mean, I'm gonna be really nice to them so that God gets them, you know, <laughs> wrong. Remember what I said about love? Remember how be at peace among yourselves? That's not how we operate. That's not we should, how we should operate. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. There's the principle. These religious zealots were misdirected in their passion, and it affected others in their misdirection. Did you hear that? They were misdirected in their passion, and it affected negatively others in their misdirected passion. Can you imagine the realization that some of the people had, like Paul, when they realized they were a part of crucifying Jesus Christ himself? Can you imagine 
that, that uh, again, with all this misdirected passion, you know, I'm going to take care of all these Christians. Paul had it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I don't care if they're women. I don't care if they're children. I'm going to take them to jail, and I would love to see them put to death. I'm sick and tired of these Christians. I'm sick and tired of this name Jesus all over the place. That's what Paul was driven by. And can you imagine on that Damascus Road when his life was ultimately changed? He was broken. He was broken. He said that. I'm the chiefest of sinners. I'm the least of all the apostles. I am not worthy to be called this because I persecuted the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Misdirected passion. How many people did Paul affect in his misdirected passion? Oh, he was zealous. Man, he was successful. Well, he had a following. People respected him. But he was misdirected. And it negatively affected the church. Again, we have to be careful how our emotions affect our attitude, our, ad- our actions, and our speech towards o- others. And I want to say this. I've said it many times before. It should begin in the home. It should begin in the church. We should be who God's called us to be with those in our home first. And then it should be obvious that from the home it pours, off in, it pours out into this home. Why is it so weird? It's so weird that sometimes Christians can be nicer to the people they work with or the clients that they serve or the bosses that they're trying to please. Why is that the case? Then the people in their own home and the people in their own home church. I've seen that before. I've seen people, I mean, just laugh and, 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 and carry on and love people outside the church. It's good, good. But then treat people in the church like dirt. Something backwards about that because Galatians 6.10 says this, so then while we have opportunity, let's do good to all people. Amen? Amen. And especially to those who are of the household of faith. A couple weeks ago we saw Moses and he had Aaron and her hold his arms up. But there was a time that Moses as the God-ordained leader and Aaron as a God-ordained leader as well had the people of Israel, the Jews, come to them with misdirected passion, right? If you know the story, they, they had greatly misdirected passion. What'd they do? They said, why have you brought us out in this desert to die? We'd rather go back and be slaves in Egypt. At least we'd have our lives back. At least we, we would know where we're going to sleep at night. Even though we're slaves, even though we wouldn't have our own uh, nation that God has promised us, we'd rather go back there. I want to encourage you, make sure you're helping carry the load. Make sure you're unified in this. Lifting up the leaders that God has put in this church and not tearing down with misdirected passion. 1 Thessalonians 5.12 says, We request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you. Man, we've got some people in this church who serve and labor diligently. And the Bible says you should appreciate that. These people that God has put over you and give you instruction that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. And look what it says. And live at peace with one another. I'm not going to have time to get the second point this morning, but I, I, I want to challenge you. How much passion do you have for the kingdom of God? How much passion do you have for Jesus and his church? Can you imagine, just, just, just have this thought for a second and we'll close. 
Think about everything you're wrapped up in in this world. Think about it. You spend hours and hours at your job, right? A lot of mental thought goes there. Sometimes some emotional things get wrapped up into that, right? Because you have people you're dealing with, you're dealing with stresses, and you're dealing with, with deadlines, and you're dealing with, with different things at your job. And so there's a lot of stuff that's wrapped up in our earthly work. Right, then, then we've got other things in, in our personal lives. We've got health things going on sometimes. Sometimes everything's not hunky-dory with our spouse or with our kids are giving us a little issue. Our kids are dealing with something at school, trying to make decisions, the finances, gas prices. You know, everything's just kind of swirling in our world, and we're so consumed, we're so wrapped up, we're so bogged down in this world. We get so tired and exhausted, and like everything is just draining us in this world. And then we try to fill our lives with joy and happiness, with activities that we enjoy, that we like. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but that's what happens in our life, right? We just need a break. Man, I want to go do this. I want to do that. We fill up our lives with all this stuff. And with all of this feeling in the world, one has to ask the question, what does God get? What does his church get? What, what does his kingdom get? What does his mission get? Does God just get a little bit of what what we have left at the end of the day or the end of the week? I barely made it here. I'm wore out. I'm tired. I got stuff to do to, later today and to get ready for this next week. It just makes me wonder how that might break the Lord's heart. Who, when he was there on the cross, under the blazing heat of an afternoon sun, with blood coming out of just about every pore he had, every part of his body, the anguish and the weight of the wrath of the Almighty against all of humanity's sins, bearing down on him as gravity was pulling his body down on those spikes. I just wonder. how much of this that we're doing, living for this world, was on his mind. Because we can say it's not sin, but sin of omission is just as much sin as sin of commission. And I just wonder, when Brother Turner sang the song, at the midnight cry, when Jesus comes again, and we see him face to face, the instant, maybe regret we might have. I spent all my time, all my effort, my thought, my worries, my passions, my emotions. I, I was so wrapped up in this world. Jesus died for his church. We're his blood-bought church. Yeah, he died for the sins of the world. He did. But if you've been saved... You're a part of it. The local church, the worldwide church, matters more than anything else on this earth. They say, I disagree with that. If you do, please show me in Scripture where you find that. Jesus came to bring the kingdom of God. We are that. Nothing more important than that. That's what he was trying to get those religious Jews out of their mind. They had made it about their system. They had made it about their own lives, even in religion. 
And Jesus was trying to get it all out. He was trying to explain to them. John the Baptist was trying to preach the coming of the Lamb of God, the coming of the kingdom of God. He was the forerunner. And when Jesus came on the scene, he said, hey, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Here it is. It's all about that, not about the kingdom of the world. So I want to encourage you and challenge you this morning. Let's make sure that we don't get misdirected in our passions and that our misdirected passions don't divide the church and tear down her leaders. Let's make sure that as the part of the body of Christ, as a member of the family of God, as a, as a member of a local church, that we are doing our very best, as we read a while ago, our, our, our very best effort, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace so that the mission gets carried out, and in that, Jesus gets glorified. That's what it's about. Isn't that so simple? But we make it so complex. I just don't have time for it. Yes, we do. We just have to make it a priority. This is not to boast, because there's so many times that I've missed the boat and failed and not taken the opportunity that was right before me. But we were traveling and went out of town this weekend and had an opportunity and I'll, I'll be honest with you, as much as I, I love sharing the gospel and as much as I um, want people to get saved and, and, and I try to do that regularly, there's still times that I get busy and I, I miss the opportunity and then feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit afterwards. But praise God, he gets the glory in this. We were able to witness to a young lady as I was going out of town, a little coffee shop in Gainesville, Texas. And she was lost in her sin. People come in there, I mean, all the time, has conversations with everybody. And this young girl didn't fully understand what God had did, had done, God had did, God had done <laughs> for her on the cross. I don't even live there. There's churches there. There's probably churches like, like in our community, just a stone throw away. I, I just share that just to say this. We're to be living our life on mission because we never know who God's bringing in our path or who, who, who we're being brought into their path to shine the light of a glorious gospel. We just never know. I, I, I've done it probably more often than, than, than I have not missed those opportunities. Because we've got, you know, we got to go, we've got things to do, we've got to get on the road, got to get back on the road. But there she was by herself in this coffee shop never knowing that God so loved her that he died in her place. And I don't know if it wasn't that God impressed Brother Jeffrey to, so I want to show you this, this shop, and, and I had no idea. I was thinking coffee, you know. And then that young lady got the gospel. We're supposed to live on mission. Let's make sure that's our priority and not misdirected passions and temporal issues. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for what you do in our life. Thank you for the challenge that you give me in your word. Thank you for the challenge you give us as a church. Um, Lord, none of us have made it. None of us have attained perfection. None of us are, are, are perfect. Um, but we are all to be striving after you. We ought to be living that life of, of passionate obedience for you. And I pray that this morning our hearts were challenged. We get so wrapped up in this world. We get so, our passions and our affections get used up on so many temporal things 
that we, we, we can come into a church service and feel no emotion for you. Lord, we can, we can get so excited about, about movies and sports and, and, and activities and, and promotions and money and, and all these things. We get so excited and use up all of that excitement and all that zeal and all that passion and walk into your house to worship the King of Kings and, and be empty. Our emotional tank, our spiritual tank empty. Lord, forgive us for living for this world. Forgive us for living and creating a kingdom of our own. Lord, help us get right. We see so many things wrong in our world and we can gripe and complain about it, but we're not willing to change ourselves. Help us. Help us to make that change, Lord. I pray you just move now as we respond to your word and uh, that something will change as we move forward. We'll praise you for it. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll stand as he plays, I'll encourage you to come.